little emotional uh, from that prayer. Um, so we're back in our Kingdom of God series. We're in our fourth beatitude in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. And so this one deals with the Kingdom of God and approval. So what is a beatitude? You could call it, these are the attitudes that God blesses. These are the attitudes that his people can have where he brings blessing to our lives. And here he says that we are blessed when we are hated, when we are excluded, when we are persecuted for his name's sake. In this fourth and final beatitude in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually does two things a little bit differently. If you look at the version in Matthew, Jesus does something that he hasn't done in the previous Beatitudes. In this one, he actually repeats himself. So in the other ones, he just says the the, the Beatitudes straight up, and then he goes on to the next one. This one, he actually stops and he says it again. And commentators believe he does this because what he's saying he knows is so unbelievable to our ears. It's just almost impossible for us to comprehend. And so Jesus stops and he says it again to make sure that we know that he is telling us something, that he fully understands what he is saying to us, and he fully believes it. That's the first thing that's different about this beatitude. So Jesus says it twice. The second thing about it is he changes the pronoun. So in the other ones in Matthew, he says, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who who weep, who are hungry, who are peacemakers. And he, he says those. Here he actually changes the pronoun and he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And he does this for a reason. He knows what he's saying is hard. He knows it's actually almost unfathomable to our human experience, what he's telling us. But he wants us to know that when we are hated by the world, that we have the love of God, that he looks upon us with his smile and his care. He knows this is hard. And so he changes the pronoun to a more personal you so that you'll know he's not telling you you, this because he hates you, but because he loves you. So the Apostle Paul and the early Christians, you know, like when, when I was growing, when I was reading this growing up, I would get to portions like this in the Bible, and I'd kind of like suspend it in this hypothetical reality and be like, well, that's just a little bit too hard for me to understand, and so I'm just going to move on to other verses. Um, And so I had this whole category of verses that I didn't take as seriously as others because they were just hard. And so uh, Jesus, as he's teaching, though, we got to look at the apostles' response to this. So we got to learn that Paul and the early Christians took Jesus very literally here. Paul put it this way in Galatians. He said, if I was still trying to please men, then I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So for the Apostle Paul, for the early apostles, that siren call of popularity, of approval seeking, they discerned that as being different than the call of Jesus. What I've wanted to do for much of my life is merge those two things as much as possible. I want Jesus to approve of me, and I want other people to approve of me. And if I can find that sweet spot in the Venn diagram, I feel great about myself. But what Jesus is saying is that you need to follow him regardless of the response of others. In fact, not even just regardless, but even if the response 
is incredibly negative, even if you are hated for his sake. I would say that there is probably no other teaching in the Bible that is more counterintuitive to my personality type and my story than this one. I was born as a, I'm a natural born approval junkie. I came out of the womb being able to read people, being able to discern what they liked, and when they liked something, I did it more, and the more they liked me, the more I felt great about myself. And here comes Jesus saying, follow me, even if you lose friends. And that's a tough one. Okay, so we're going to get into this today. I'll tell more of my story later. But first of all, we're going to look at the world's approach to approval seeking. Then we're going to look at the kingdom reversal, the joy of being persecuted for Christ's sake. And then we're going to talk together about how to put this into practice in our real lives as we follow Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that you would take these words that you said 2,000 years ago and make them alive in our experience. Lord, would you continue to free me and free us from the idol of the approval of man or woman or a group of men and women uh, that we look to uh, and we base our identity on that? Lord God, would you in your voice be the one voice that we listen to and seek and that we would increasingly be able to tune out the voices of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, let's talk about the worldly approach to approval seeking. So in the world, a good thing, the good thing in the world, in this particular beatitude, is when all speak well of you. As many people as possible, you can get speaking well of you is really the goal. The bad thing, the thing you don't want, is to be hated or excluded by other people. We, we just grow up believing this is true. How do you build an identity? How do you build a, a secure place for yourself in this world? Well, you need to amass certain things around you. You need to amass knowledge, money, social power, and you need to have a lot of friends. You need to have a lot of people who think that you're pretty great. And the more you have of those things, you kind of secure a place for yourself a little kingdom, as it were, where you can be secure and you can feel good about the world. Human approval from a young age is a huge aspect of helping us secure this place for ourselves. But in the kingdom of God, this value is flipped upside down. And now Jesus says, I am the one that you need to look to for approval. Me. Me and me alone. And if I call you to follow me and you lose friends, then you need to do that anyway. You need to surrender your lives to me, God says, including your reputation. Sadly, many Christian organizations and many churches do not help us reinforce this value. Ministry like politics or marketing can become a popularity contest. Who has the best communicator? who has the best social media, who has the most money, who has the most power, who can leverage technology the best, who's most savvy, who can find that niche within the ministry market so that we can be successful. And what we've grown up in in America, many of us in churches and organizations that try to merge Jesus and popularity. And so we grew up thinking, I grew up thinking that it was normal to follow Jesus and be popular. 
And when you lost popularity, maybe that meant there was something that was wrong with your walk with Jesus. Because if Jesus calls you to follow him, doesn't that mean that you'll be successful? And in ministry, isn't success based on growth? Isn't it based on the number of people that you can gather around you that think that you and your vision, your church's vision, your organization's vision is great? And it gets incredibly confusing, and churches and Christian organizations can grow in the same exact way that, that Tesla or Starbucks or Apple can grow. You have a really good product that's unique, and you communicate it differently and well in a savvy way that connects with culture, and boom, you've found the magic elixir so that other people will come, and you have mass fame and popularity. I read the other day, there's a pastor in North Carolina, I'm not going to say his name right now because it would be distracting. The guy's worth $55 million and lives in a 19,000-square-foot house, the biggest house in North Carolina. And, and I'm telling you, like, there is this magic potion you can tap into in America, and if you find it and you do it the right way, you can get incredibly famous. You can become a celebrity in the church. And what I'm telling you is this, that Peter and Paul and the apostles would have found this to be astounding and ridiculous they would have found it to be appalling that this is what has become of christianity that you can merge your popularity in jesus and and pop out with 55 million in a 19,000 square foot house it's completely antithetical to anything that they ever would have found imaginable to following a man who went and died on a cross but yet, that is the Christianity that we deal with. Whether or not you go to that church or one of the other many churches, and maybe even this church if we're not careful, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we about? What are we about? Are we about following Jesus? Are we about getting famous, popular, gathering, and securing a Christian place for ourselves? We have to ask ourselves the question, if someone from the persecuted church came to our church, would they find it to be a church that they understand, that makes sense to them in their cultural context? There's nothing better that can happen to me than have someone visit from another country who can understand English well enough to know what's going on here. And at the end of that, particularly a persecuted person or someone who's been suffering and at the end of a service, they say, this church is like my church. I love that. And there's nothing more damning that can happen than to have someone come from the persecuted church to come to our church and find that they don't understand anything that's going on here. It doesn't make sense to them. It's not the Bible they've been reading. It's not the Jesus they've been following. That is not what we want. We want to have a church where if Peter or Paul or, or what if Jesus showed up? Would he find it to be his church? Would he find it to be consistent with the values of his kingdom? But ministry can be a popularity contest. But Jesus' call is not a popularity contest. It's a call to take up your cross. And like I said at the beginning, this could not be more counterintuitive to the natural-born version of me. So I was born, and I was able to do some things well that the world values. I was able to speak. I was able to relate. I was able to play sports. I was smart. I made good grades. And, and so suddenly, I began to serve other people wanting their approval. And I lived my life in this world where I wanted as many people to approve of me. And I, can t I could tell easily when they didn't approve of me. And so just intuitively and subtly, I began to 
form an identity around how many people like me. Really, every day of my life was like a popularity contest for myself. Every day, the question that I was walking around asking myself was, how can this day be good for me? How can I make much of me today? And even though, simultaneously, I'm going to church every three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, I, I merged Jesus and popularity quite seamlessly. And then I began to realize that Jesus was calling me to follow him. I began to realize that there are these parts of Scripture where Jesus is saying like, things like this, like, follow me no matter what, no matter what happens, and you're going to lose some friends if you follow me. And that, honestly, it terrified me. It terrified me. Scriptures like this, Galatians 6.10, if I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. I was like, whoa, can't you merge the two? I mean, do you have to be so extreme, Jesus? But Jesus is calling us. And what we need to recognize here is this. I mean, first of all, as I look back on my life, I just want to say thank God I didn't grow up. If you're a young person here today and you're growing up in the social media age, man, if I would have had Snap and Insta, if I would have had all of those different things, TikTok and all these things you guys are dealing with right now, it would have totally done me in. I mean, it was enough for me to deal with the people that were actually right there, you know, in my life that I knew personally. But to have all these random people, these friends out there that I'm trying to please, and I feel like this pressure to respond online, and it's a public forum, whatever you put out there, I mean, that's an incredible amount of pressure. That, that would have really actually done me in, um, for sure. And so I really feel for you guys. And so what I want to encourage you to understand here is that actually Jesus' call to follow him instead of all these other people is actually a beautiful and loving call. He is a good father. Let me tell you that approval seeking and seeking to put your identity in what other people think of you is an emotional and a psychological and relational death trap. It's an absolute death trap. To find freedom and joy in that way of life, it is elusive. You are up and down. But to follow Jesus who loves you and, and he's with you on the inside. He's with you always on the inside, that good father who is with you on the inside. It's not what's happening outside of you. You have him on the inside. It is such a joy and a freedom to find in him. It is such a mercy that he calls us to follow him instead of listening to the voices of the world. At first, what seemed completely impossible for me to understand, I've now found to be an incredible joy, uh, at least most of the time. Uh, <laughs> it's still hard to be rejected. You know, C.S. Lewis said, Jesus will be Lord of all, or he will not be Lord at all. And I, I find that, you know, Jesus isn't interested in sharing his throne with all your friends. He doesn't want all your friends up there on the throne with him. He just wants to be there himself. And that's actually a good thing for you and for me. So that's the way of the world. Approval seeking, and that's how we build an identity. The second point is the kingdom reversal, the blessing of being persecuted, hated, or rejected for Christ's sake. So what does this beatitude mean? It means you are blessed when you are persecuted for being like the Lord Jesus. You're blessed for being persecuted for being like the Lord Jesus. It does not say that you are blessed when you are persecuted. Okay, that's really important to understand. The persecution is not the blessing. Persecution is hard. Persecution is, is brutal. You should not seek 
persecution. You should not seek suffering. You should seek Jesus. And in time, you will find as you seek Jesus that there will be a social cost. There will be. There will be a social cost. If you follow Jesus, you will find ultimately that you will lose things because of it. You will be hated by some, persecuted by some. But it's really important that you seek Jesus and you're persecuted for being like Jesus, not simply that you're persecuted. That is not the blessing. And you need to make sure that you're being persecuted for being like Jesus. It says in the Matthew version, for righteousness' sake. You're persecuted for being righteous, for living in a way that is commensurate with the character of Jesus. That is why you're being persecuted. A lot of people are persecuted for other reasons. Some of them are Christians, and they believe they're being persecuted because of Jesus, but they're not. This is really important. It's an important point. There's a, there's a lot of reasons, ways this can happen, a lot of reasons why this can happen. Here's three ways you could be a Christian and be persecuted, but it's not because of Jesus. Okay? One is, I would say, a way of evangelism called gospel bomb dropping. Okay? So the way that you do evangelism, you're told you need to go do evangelism, Uh, There are people that won't feed homeless people until they hear the gospel from them. Um, That's just, that's not right. Uh, There are people who will not give a tip at a restaurant until they share the gospel with their waiter. That's not right. And the waiter doesn't like them and the homeless person doesn't like them. That's not because of Jesus, that's because that's terrible, all right? You shouldn't do that. Uh, I've heard of of people, of Christians, there are like drinking parties and they go and they, they open the door and throw a bunch of tracks inside the party and leave. Okay, that's, I'm serious, that's ridiculous. I mean, our, our misunderstanding of what evangelism is, you have to actually care about people. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Jesus cares about the person, and so you should care about them as you, as you share the gospel with them. So that's one way. That's all, I call it gospel bomb evangelism. The second way, and this is going to get a little more personal, it's mixing your politics with Jesus, Okay. So you overtly support a political candidate or have big opinions about political issues, and you weave Jesus into that, okay? And people don't agree with your politics, and they don't like it when you go on your political diatribes, and you believe that you're being persecuted for Jesus' sake. You're actually being persecuted because they find it appalling that you would weave your conservative or liberal politics in with Jesus. They find it appalling. They don't know what to do with it. And so they reject you. And so you need to be very careful that, that when you're, um, you're, you're talking about Jesus, that you're talking about him in a way that Peter and Paul would have understood to be true. I don't think they would have understood when we weave our conservative or liberal American politics in with Jesus. They wouldn't have really understood that very well. So think about if an apostle was here with me, would they get what I'm saying? A lot of times they really wouldn't understand. The third reason why Christians are persecuted not for Jesus' sake, but for just other reasons, is that they're, I would call them an an annoying church person. Okay, an annoying church person. Christians can be overzealous about their churches and they're rejected for it. They talk about how cool their pastor is or how cool the new church merchandise is or the, the cool new building that they have, or they talk about whatever, and people are like, like I'm talking about people that aren't in the church, they're just like, what? That is so weird. Uh, and so don't be, 
don't be one of those weird Christian people that thinks your church is so awesome or thinks that this ministry that you do, you're associated with is so awesome. Like, just, just think about Jesus. He's really awesome. He's great. But he doesn't need T-shirts. He doesn't need a cool youth room or whatever. I mean, maybe we'll have one one day. But I'm just saying that's not what I want you to talk to your neighbors about, our cool youth room that we're going to have or this new thing we're doing. Kent Hughes put it this way, sadly, people are often not persecuted for their Christianity, but for their lack of it. I thought that was well put. Um, So let's not be like that. So what would it look like to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Doing the righteous Christ-like thing and being hated for it. Well, think about those who were persecuted in the scriptures. Think about Abel. Abel was persecuted by Cain just because he was trying to offer a right sacrifice he was trying to do the right thing, and he was hated for it. Think about Moses. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to follow God. He was hated for it. Think about David. He was trying to follow God, and Saul hated him for it. Think about Jesus. He was following his father, and he was hated for it. So just seek to follow your father in heaven, and then if the, the result, if the consequence is that you're hated by people, that's the right way to do it. So you've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you as well. You'll receive the kingdom, and you'll also receive people who do not want to have anything to do with the kingdom. So who will suffer? Well, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'll be honest with you, growing up in America and the church, I didn't think this verse might apply to me. Uh, about 35 years ago. I thought that maybe you could live in America and not be persecuted, but I don't think that's possible, actually. And I think, actually, even though I don't like what's happening in many aspects of our culture, I actually believe it's going to be good for the church. It's going to be good for the church to live in a society where it actually makes a substantial difference to be a Christian instead of just blending in with the, the surroundings. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who suffered tremendously, was martyred under Hitler, said this, Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of God's grace. Wow. So let's talk about this, because I find this to be the most shocking part of what Jesus says. He doesn't just say that you're going to suffer for my sake. He says, I'm calling you to suffer with joy. He actually says, again, Jesus doubles down, just so we make sure you understand. He says in the Luke version, leap for joy. This is excessive joy as we are persecuted for Christ's sake. How can this be, of course, is the question, okay? So I went to others to seek their counsel. I went to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century in the UK. And he says these three things. So there's three points here. How can you suffer with joy? How is it even possible? And he says this. The first thing he says is a Christian and his response to others is unlike anyone who is not a Christian. So he's saying that there is something substantially different about the Christians so that they could respond in this way and no one else could ever respond in this way. It must have to do with Christianity itself. There's no other way to make sense of what Jesus is saying. 
So let's remember the progress of the Beatitudes. He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Meaning, blessed are those who realize they have nothing to offer the Lord. And therefore, in coming to God with nothing, they then receive everything. And so these are those who receive the kingdom. We are those who have nothing. And we have received everything in him. And what we have received in him principally is new life in his name. I go back to John 3, the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, where Nicodemus is so blown away by talking with Jesus, and he says, how can these things be when he's talking about the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you can't understand what I'm saying unless you're born from above. Unless you are born from a different world, you're born from above, you are given the Holy Spirit as Philip prayed about. These things are are coming to us by the Holy Spirit. Unless you are born again, there is no way, there's no way unless you have that life living inside of you that you can receive persecution with joy. It is an otherworldly, from God kind of a response that you can have. But let me just tell you, I'm not saying that every single Christian is going to suffer with joy every time, and if you don't suffer with joy, then you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that at all, because this is my story, part of my story. When I was 28, Jordan was four months old, and Olivia and I were moving back to China. And during the time when we came back for Jordan to be born, many of those who we were working with in China began to be persecuted. They, they were called in by the PSB. They were questioned uh, for hours on end. And a lot of the questions that the government was asking about of, of these folks that we were working with who had become Christians, who were leaders in the church there, they were asking about me. They were saying things like, you meet with Corey every Thursday at 4 o'clock. What do you guys talk about? You went with Corey to this thing. What, what were you guys doing? And I received word back through other channels that this is what was going on. And I'll be honest with you, with my four-month-old child and my wife, I was, wor- I was really worried, even scared about going back. As I considered being persecuted, the possibility of being persecuted there, Um, I was not joyful. I was scared. I was losing sleep. I was laying up in the middle of the night. It was a huge dilemma of my faith. It was not an immediate, oh, thank God, we might be persecuted for Jesus' sake. With my four-month-old and my wife, no way. I was scared. But the Lord used that time. We, We ended up going back. We had to move out of our apartment in 24 hours to another city four and a half hours away. That was not fun. Um... It was terrible. We couldn't say goodbye to our friends. It was rough. But I will say that going through persecution and through suffering for Jesus' sake, it does sanctify you. (laughs) It does make you ask the question, where is my hope? Where is my hope? For all these things in my life that are outside of my control, even things that matter greatly to me, like my child and my wife, you know, where is my hope? And in that process of sanctification, I did grow. I did grow. I think I became more joyful in Jesus But what I'm telling you is that suffering, though there can be a joyful response to suffering, that joy comes through sanctification. It's hard. It's hard. But I believe that there is joy mixed within the persecution somehow, and it is a a mystery. The second point that Dr. Jones makes, Dr. Lloyd-Jones makes, the first one was a Christian, his response to others is unlike anyone who's not a Christian. The second one is a Christian's life is controlled and dominated by the Lord Jesus. 
So you have to be asking yourself the question, if you're a Christian, and this goes for whatever you're going through, okay? I mean, there's a lot of ways persecution happen. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the question that you need to be asking yourself daily, I love Joy's uh, vision moment. And the question that Joy's asking herself at, at school as she's working with eighth graders and the question that, that we need to ask ourselves is this, Christ, since you are in my life, then what would please you? How can I serve you? How can I make much of you today in this situation? And as we are interested in making much of Christ and less and less interested in making much of ourselves, we find that we will suffer at times for that, just like it was in Jesus' life. In Acts 5, it shows us that joy and suffering can go together. In fact, Joy said something that I wrote down in my phone and left it over there, but she said something like, frustration and joy happen every day in my life. I thought that was exactly right. As we talk about persecution and suffering, there is a weaving together of these things. There is a weaving together of suffering and joy that mysteriously happens through the Spirit. In Acts 5, we see the disciples being persecuted and suffering for the name of Jesus, but yet being filled with joy. And I believe that those two emotions and experiences can go together because they went together in the life of Christ. The third thing that Dr. Lloyd-Jones points out is a Christian's life, if we're going to respond with joy, we have to be controlled by the thoughts of the world to come. Jesus says a couple of times here, why should you rejoice? Not only because of your union with Christ now, but your union with Christ later. That you are receiving a kingdom. You are receiving. That, that mark of persecution that is put on you for Jesus' sake, it shows you that you are part of a kingdom that is coming. That is a, it's the kingdom of heaven. How much time do you spend thinking about heaven? How much time do you spend considering what life will be like there? What would 30 seconds of heaven be like and if you could experience it now, how might it translate back into your life today? If you could experience 30 seconds of heaven being with the Lord, how might you live differently today? We spend much of our life thinking about what is a dot on an infinite line. We were so concerned about the things of this, this day that we're going through, and yet eternity is out there for us to experience. What is the kingdom of heaven going to be like? Well, the kingdom of heaven, the, the rewards of heaven are real. Some people, some Christians find it uh, unpalatable to talk about the rewards we'll receive in heaven. I think that's just unbiblical. I'm sorry. Like, if you feel like that's, that's not something that you want to do, the rewards that will come to you for being a follower of Jesus in heaven are real, and Jesus talks about them all the time. So whether you want to receive a reward or not for following him, he's going to give them to you in the end. And some of the rewards, that they're not monetary, okay? They're not monetary, so you kind of get out of a different way of being uh, rewarded at work. The rewards you're going to receive are the, the rewards that you really want, that you've always wanted. You're going to be known and loved in community. You're going to be with Jesus in heaven. You're going to have unmixed joy. You're going to be freed from all of your sin, all the habitual sin that you struggle with gone. It's all going to be gone, and you're going to be with the Lord forever, and you're going to be with his people, and it will be better than all the money in the world. You know, J.D. Rockefeller, when he died, the press was really interested in how much money he was leaving behind. 
And finally, someone from the press got in touch with one of his top aides, and they got an interview with him. And the first question he asked was, how much did Rockefeller leave behind? And the, the aide said, all of it. He left it all behind. It's true. He left it all. Who cares how much it was? He's dead. Um, and we live so much of our time thinking about that, net worth and whatever, you know. I know the stock market's cratering right now. Okay. So you're going to lose it one day. Maybe you'll get it back. Maybe you won't. Who knows? But the reward in heaven is great. Unmixed joy with Christ forevermore. Charles Spurgeon, you may or may not know that he struggled with depression, that he often used to have to cancel speaking engagements. In fact, some people estimate as many as 50% of his speaking engagement he had to cancel because of his depression. It's crazy to think about. Um, During one of such episodes, his wife took out a sheet of paper and wrote down the eight Beatitudes from Matthew and fastened it on the ceiling over his head and wrote by it, everyone who lives a righteous life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. That's very abnormal to our human experience, that we, for following Christ, for doing the right thing, would be hated for it, but yet it is the path of the kingdom of God. So how do we put this into practice in real life? Three things. You live every day in a social courtroom where the opinions of other people seem to matter a great deal. But what Jesus is saying is that they are ultimately, eternally meaningless. Let me say that again. You live every day in a social courtroom where it seems like the opinions of other people matter a great deal. But Jesus is telling you that they are ultimately, eternally meaningless. If you had a top five list of the people that you care most about their opinion, achieving and securing their approval in this world, who would be on this list? You know, I hope if you're a child, one of those is your parents. That would be healthy. But I bet you there are other people. I bet you there are other people, and who knows why? Who knows why they're on the list? That'd actually be a good question. So the follow-up question of that top five list would be like, why do they get to be on the list? What, what makes them so special to get on your top five list of all the people that you care about most in the world, what they think about you? You know, one thing you need to, to consider is you need to be careful not to confuse the praise of men with actually having something going on in your life that's worthy of praise. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can get likes and thumbs up and retweets and friends that have nothing to do with anything good. In fact, a lot of it has nothing to do with anything good. Just look at what's going on right now. How you get liked and and whatever, how you get an echo chamber formed around your opinion is you have to say something extreme and crazy all the time. And people are like, whoa, can you believe they said that? I mean, it's ridiculous. So who do you care about and why? Ask yourself the question. Who gets to be on your top five list? And then we need to ask ourselves, what would it be like if those people did not approve of me? What would be the real consequence of that in your life? And I'm telling you, I know when I was growing up and even now, I mean, There are some people, what I'm trying to point out to you is there are some people who have their hooks into your identity. They have no right to be there. They have no right to say who you are and to determine what you think about yourself. 
And so the alternative, the way to deal with that is not just to say, I'm just not going to care what they think. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. It never works with sin. If you're struggling with lust to say, I'm just not going to lust. You're still going to lust because you're going to be thinking about lusting. If you're going to say, I'm just not going to care about money, you're still going to care about money because you're still thinking about money. You're just thinking about not wanting to care about money. So the way that you change your heart through the gospel is you have to fix your gaze on a greater love, on someone who is better, on someone whose approval is even more wise and beautiful and, and has staying power, and that's Jesus. You have to grapple with the approval of God in your heart to ever be free of the approval of other people because you were born to need approval, but you were born to need it from the Lord. What does God say about you? He says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. He says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he rejoices over you with singing. So in the heavenly social courtroom, when you get there, you are approved of, man, 100%. You have no reason to be afraid of the Lord that he's going to reject you because he's already said, I receive you in Jesus Christ. The second thing you need to understand if you're going to put this into practice is if you follow Jesus, there will be a social cost. There will be. So go ahead and prepare yourself mentally for the fact that if you follow Jesus, and I don't mean seeking out, remember what I said earlier, you don't seek out persecution, you don't seek out suffering. But if you follow Jesus and you're seeking to do that faithfully, whether you're in high school or at work or you're online or even in the church. I mean, the people who struggle the most with Jesus were people in the church. People who were the the Pharisees, the religious leaders rejected Jesus. And that makes our minds spin a little bit. But as you follow Christ and you seek to truly keep him first, you will bear a social cost. The nature of persecution in our time, I mean, at work, if you're standing for Christ, depending on your field, Joy mentioned it briefly without going into it, it's hard to navigate the public school system, hard to navigate health care, hard to navigate law, hard to navigate, hard to navigate a lot of industries, sales, hard to navigate. Wherever you are, living for Christ in that industry, there will be a cost. You need to be ready for it. It will come. It will come. At school, again, man, if you are someone who just doesn't go along with the crowd, you don't go to the same parties, you don't join in the same conversations, even if you love, and I encourage you to love people who who may mistreat you, man, there's going to be a cost. You're not going to be included in certain things. People are going to talk about you behind your back. It's just going to happen to you. Online, if you don't participate in the same conversations, there will be a cost. But as we follow Christ, some of the good news is some will follow Christ with us. So I would encourage you, this is why a Christian community is so important. If you're in high school or middle school, this is why having Christian friends is so important. There are other people who are following Christ. There are. And you need to find some of them. And you don't link your identity to them now because they can also let you down. But you need other people who are sincerely following Jesus. Some of the greatest leaders in the church's history were at first some of its most fierce rejectors. Some of those who you thought could never come to Christ. Some of those people in your high school, some of those people at work, maybe those who come to Christ. And so don't give up on people who mistreat you for Christ's sake. So the final thing is how do we put this to practice 
in real life is you need to move from seeing hatred for Christ and exclusion as something to be avoided to something to praise God for. So how do you do that? (laughs) Well, I'm with you. Okay, I'm still learning in this as well. But we need to have a new way that we see the world. The only way to make sense of this at all is to see the resurrection of Jesus, the real life we have in Christ now, the, the crucifixion of Christ that led to the resurrection of Christ that will lead to the kingdom of Christ. You have to realize that that story is the real story. That you are included in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That resurrection that you have in Jesus is more real than what your friends think about you. It really is. That infinite line is more substantial than the dot you live on. This world we live in now can compare nothing to those 30 seconds in heaven. And as we fix our minds on Christ, when we experience ridicule or rejection from the world, we can know that the reason for that is because we are a part of a kingdom by God's grace, by his grace alone, that is just really different. And we are a part of that kingdom, and we will inherit that kingdom. And so in this life, we will experience rejection at times, but there will be glory later. You know, Jesus called him to follow him to the cross. After the cross, he calls us to follow him in the resurrection. And after the resurrection, we will follow him into heaven. And because of that, because that is a sure and true reality, we will have joy. I'll close with this. I read last night online that in the PCA, and I don't know how true this statistic is, but in 2014, so it's not very current, but in 2014, somewhere near 40% of the people in the PCA did not say that they were sure of the reality of heaven. 40%. First of all, I don't know if that's a true statistic or not, okay? Statistics, right? But if you're not sure of heaven, you're not going to live like this. If you're not sure of heaven, if, if you don't have any reward coming to you in the next life, why would you undergo suffering in this one? You've got to be sure. You've got to be sure that through Christ you are going to heaven. You are going to receive that reward of being with him. That is going to keep you solid. That is going to keep you safe. So think about that. Christ leads you not just to the cross, but to the, re- to the resurrection and ultimately into glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would help us here. Lord, we, many of us are anyway, natural-born approval junkies, and we, um, we thank you that you approve of us and that your smile and your love and your care are true. They're more beautiful and more solid, more substantial than anything we can have in this world. So God, I pray that you would free us, and I pray for anyone here who... Um, might really be wrestling with what would it look like to follow you, Jesus, and to lose some of that, um, that, those friendships and to bear that social cost. Lord, I pray that you would assure them now, Lord, that you love them and that you are with them and that you will never leave them or forsake them. Lord God, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you have loved us. We're so grateful for these beatitudes that blow our minds. You've included us in a kingdom that is very different Help us to live according to your values. Help us to live according to your values with joy so that the world would know you. In Jesus' name.